We have a lot to talk about today. The week started with a disastrous 4-0 defeat at Brentford and Eric Ten Hag's second game in charge, littered with errors of all kinds. The defeat plunged United into a frenzy of transfer rumours and leaks as the club attempts to plug the holes that so clearly exist in the playing squad. As crisis talk continues to emerge at every level from the board to the playing staff, today on Devils in the Details, we slow down the frenzy to dissect what went wrong in the weekend's defeat, the discourse around it, and all of the transfer rumours, as well as what they say about United's recruitment policy. But before we get started, Case, how are you processing everything from the last week? I don't think anybody's processing what's gone on well. It feels like a crisis. It feels like a crisis from where I'm sitting. But I don't know. Maybe things aren't ever as bad as they as they seem, even at their darkest. Uh, certainly, I think the men, the the media is like taking the opportunity to to whip everybody up into a frenzy. Um, but also, things are not good at the club. I think it's an odd time to be a United fan. <laughs> Things are definitely not normal from the perspective of the links we're seeing. I do think there's a lot of opportunism going on in the media. But I think our first talking point is whether the Brentford game was as bad as the 4-0 scoreline suggests. And we have a lot to talk about in terms of this game, so let's just get started with it. The first 10 minutes to me, not a crisis. It felt pretty normal. There were a couple mistakes, but nothing absolutely out of the, no- out of the ordinary. Mostly fine. What do you think? Yeah, uh, broadly I agree. Uh, United maintained possession pretty effectively. Uh, there are obviously some shaky moments, but no, no catastrophic mistakes. Any match you're going to have you know, technical failures that cause you to lose the ball. That's sort of run-of-the-mill, not concerning stuff. I, I wasn't that concerned early on. I think we were actually pretty unfortunate to have that broken by the first goal, uh, which I know we're going to talk about. Yeah, so there was one play before the first goal that I wanted to talk about, but I think it fits in better with the discussion around the second goal. With respect to the first goal, I honestly think this is the least interesting of the four. It basically starts with Ronaldo losing the ball from a hold-up situation. I think the situation is difficult for Ronaldo, but perhaps a better hold-up striker, maybe Martial, might have won a foul. Um, Ronaldo also called for a foul. I'm not sure if he was fouled. But either way, I don't think losing the ball is the problem that concedes to this goal. It's the error from De Gea. Um, John Harrison, who great goalkeeper analyst on Twitter, he has a model, and his model's really good, and says that the average Premier League goalkeeper saves that shot about 96% of the time. That basically puts it almost completely on De Gea, in my opinion. Do you have anything else to add, really, for this goal? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you watch that goal, it's pretty obvious De Gea should have stopped that shot, and... Uh... Even right there, if you stop if you stop the match right there, that's a horrible match from De Gea because it's really hard to recover from not saving that shot. It's worth noting that John's model isn't just taking into account where he shot from; it's taking into account the quality of the finish in a variety of ways: shot velocity, where the ball ends up. Yeah, he should have saved that shot. I think that's intuitive, regardless. As for that goal, otherwise, I felt Erickson made a mistake uh, in terms of his defensive positioning to leave sort of the, the zone in front of the penalty box so open. But like, like you said, that shot still has to get saved. I don't think it's a big mistake. Yeah, I thought the shot was contested too by Lissandro. There's really just no reason to not be saving that. It's also really far out. All right, between the first and second goals, the main talking point began to be the buildup in this match. There were four buildup sequences, including one before the first goal and three after the second goal that broke down because of individual issues. 
I'll start with 13. Uh, Diogo Dalo. United win an aerial pinball sort of in their own half. And Maguire passes to Dalo. He's kind of on the inside right. And he's receiving with his back to goal centrally. Um, and being pressed on his back. Now, I think the real issue here is that he's not really scanning behind him. Because Sancho's actually making a run. And as he's being pressed, the space is opening behind the man who's pressing him. So the solution here really is to flick on the ball to Sancho and continue the play. But what Dalo actually does is doesn't see Sancho, takes too many touches, and then kicks the ball out of play. And I think I can tie this one in with another buildup that broke down, which was the Maguire yellow card. Uh, Maguire's carrying the ball, and Dalo's making an inverted run. Now for this one, Maguire and Erickson are both pointing for Dalo to go back wide. So Maguire can play the ball out to Dalo wide. But I actually think Dalo is the one making the right decision here. He's coming inside to open up the pass to Sancho out wide so that Maguire can play the ball out to Sancho and Sancho can play a first-time ball inside to Dalo and the entire press is broken. Um, so if Maguire actually sees Sancho, if Maguire makes that pass, this is a perfect press-breaking build-up sequence. And instead, Maguire hesitates and tries to play Ericsson, who then loses the ball and Maguire has to take a yellow card. That was a lot to to build up breakdowns, but basically the point here is I think these are both symptoms of players with the technical ability to make these types of passes who perhaps haven't yet adapted at, to the system, reading the cues, and making the right passes. Case, do you think this is something we can expect to get better with this personnel? Yeah, I think definitely. I think these are instances where we can be optimistic and say this just comes with more time on the training pitch, more time playing these patterns through. I'm not at all worried about these sequences. I will add, um, there was one point, I think it's the instance where Maguire gets cornered and, and um, basically clears it out for a corner. It doesn't clear it, but it gets blocked. Um, and I did feel, and this is an interesting, almost a question, I felt that Fred should have dropped off and offered as an option there because I felt he had a good angle to do so. But it seems like it's an explicit instruction for those that front six basically to stay away. And and I think you've pointed this out a few times. And there's, there's instances where it's by design one of those that front six drops off um, to sort of allow the the exit ball and then play backwards from there where typically Erickson or Dallow or somebody like that is facing forward, facing towards the opposition goal, but in space. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the future, whether this is going to be a recurring issue uh, and whether it's uh, a decision-making choice or an execution issue. Pretty much agree. I think the thing with Fred is I'm not sure whether it's sort of a match-specific instruction or something that we'll continue to see. I think it's very possible, based on Ten Hag's quotes, which we'll get onto in a second, that basically what he wanted was for the first line to draw out the first line of Brentford's press and then play behind them. Basically, I wonder whether this is instruction or not for this specific match or in the long term, but I definitely think it was instruction in general. Um, I don't think Fred is just deliberately deciding to stay that far away from the first line of midfield. And I think the general design of this play uh, was not to play through Ericsson and Fred. It was to use Ericsson to draw out the opposition and then play behind them, which is basically exactly what Ten Hag said in the presser. And I actually had that play from Maguire where it goes up for a throw-in as the next one I wanted to talk about. This is a play that United ran three times in the first 20 minutes, and the third one was the second goal that United conceded. So basically, the way the play works is the ball starts with Lissandro, who plays back to De Gea, and when he plays back to De Gea, 
uh, Brentford's press engages. So it becomes Brentford's front two pressing United's center backs directly and a third man from Brentford's midfield pressing Ericsson. Um, and it's it's very man-oriented. Like, they're, they're directly trying to cover the pass into the man. United have two possible out options to that. You're not... The, the design of the play is not really to press to the center backs, I think. The design is to pass to Ericsson or go long over... Uh, go long over with one of the members of the front line dropping off, as we said. But what ends up happening is that's a little bit too rigid, and I think the instructions are almost taken too literally here because De Gea pretty much refuses to pass to Maguire directly in both of the last two ones. And in the first one, which is the one that Maguire cleared, the ball just doesn't arrive at his feet quickly enough, and the pass to Sancho is open, but it's too easy for Brentford to press him and, and force the clearance. So there's a lot of hesitation going on. And with De Gea's plays specifically, he had multiple opportunities where he could break the press or failing to break the press in the case of the goal, make a clearance or make a decent attempt at a pass. He kind of does neither and then tries to force the safe pass, but the pass results in giving the ball away and a goal. So... I think Sancho needs to make his runs a little bit clearer, but most importantly, De Gea gets two two out of the three of these really wrong, and the second leads to a goal conceded. And I don't really know what to say about that, but maybe kind of you have something to add there? Yeah, I think uh, I agree with basically everything you're saying. Uh, I I think you said what's expected in that situation is that De Gea either pass Eriksson, who lays it off for one of the center backs, or he go long. And I know you. I know you meant this, but just for clarity for the listeners, when we say go long, we mean one of those forwards drops off to such an extent that it's not a contested aerial. It's sort of just a chipped ball into space for De Gea, which, given how conservative he was, typically playing to Erickson or in that one instance to Maguire before the second goal was conceded, I think we can pretty safely say he is not comfortable playing that pass. And, and though you're right, it's a question of whether the pass was on. I think for the most part, it was typically on. And De Gea just can't play that ball. And so I think the question becomes, uh, how viable is, is, is this build-up pattern with De Gea in goal? Um, and I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but that, that'd be my main concern. When you have such limited technicality like he does... It makes decision-making harder, and he's already not a great decision-maker on the ball, but when you take decisions away from, like, options away from yourself, you make it infinitely more difficult. And I think he takes away options from from himself because he has so much trouble playing some of these passes. I I think the main point of frustration for me is that the decision or, or the pass that he's expected to make with respect to the chip is not one that I'd expect him to complete based on what we know about him already. But it's also not a high-risk pass. If he fails the pass, it goes out of play. Or it results in a Brentford ball regain in United's half. But instead, he chooses a pass that, if he fails, results in a goal. And I think his decision-making can improve, but I don't think the technique is going to massively improve over the course of the season. I, I could end up being wrong, but we've been watching it for so many years now. And, I mean, I'm sure... Even though Ten Hag is probably asking more of him than other managers United have had have asked of him, I still don't think that the other coaches were telling him to just boot it long or, you know, hit a flimsy ball into the first line of defenders, right? So 
I I don't I don't see massive changes coming for him and in terms of running the play, I think I kind of debated on this for a while and it's difficult because you want to set a template such that when you get the players you want, they come into this system that is settled and is being drilled. And if you start with one thing and go to another thing, that's just going to delay the amount of time it takes to get that thing going. And I think we've sort of seen this debate a little bit with Arteta's Arsenal, where I think the things that they've done since the start, they're now very good at. Whereas a lot of the other things that they maybe compromised on a little bit, perhaps secondary elements, took a little longer to come in, even after Arteta got good players. Like, for example, in engaging the initial line high, I think when they lo- when they lose the ball, they kind of drop off a little bit. And now getting into that consistent sort of high pressing trying to win the ball back immediately after losing it has taken a little bit longer for them whereas something like playing out of the back as they've gotten better players they've just gotten better at but the problem is what's worth it at this point right maximizing the value you can get in the short term out of these players or maximizing what you get in the long term out of this squad trying to yeah. build something and, and the development you get out of the players from I playing mean, in a new system. I totally agree with you. I think you don't compromise at all. I think you just play the way you want to play and then you get the players you need. But your point sort of forced in my hand here, which I was trying to delay a little bit more, which is I think De Gea just has to be replaced if you want to play this, le- this like essentially top four football. And I think we've seen adapting to this squad means we United don't play well because the squad isn't that strong if you deliberately play to the squad's strengths rather than taking the players that are usable in the squad, fitting them into a structure, and then fixing the holes, um, which is what needs to be done. And I think De Gea is one of those holes if you want to play modern, elite-level football. But And then I'll, I'll also add this. After the, that second goal, De Gea took every single goal kick long. Visibly, that was in response to basically he didn't feel comfortable either either temporarily with the pattern. Maybe he comes to it, and I think you have to keep trying regardless of who's in goal. Or it was a deliberate instruction, essentially give it up because we're not ready to do this. I hope it was the former, personally, because I don't think we should give up trying that. But, uh, yeah. Well, I don't know, right? And I think the discussion is sort of you relentlessly implement this style to the point where you avoid a complete meltdown every week. Because if you have a complete meltdown every week, Ten Hag won't survive long enough to see the fruits of his labor with respect to these different plays that he's trying to run. But I also look at the alternatives to sort of not running plays like this. And basically all of them involve still losing the ball a lot. Um, You're losing either a man up top or you're sending the ball long more often into into lower percentage duels. And yeah, that, that ultimately results in scoring fewer goals and conceding more goals, whether you adjust for it or not. So the easiest solution is just to replace De Gea. And that kind of removes this discussion of whether it's worth it to prioritize short-term putting out fires over sort of long-term fixing the style and the ability of this team to play in a particular way. Um, but, you know, we'll see if that, we'll see if that happens. We, we have a, a few goalkeeper rumors to get to in a little bit. So um, let's move to the third goal. I personally wasn't extremely intrigued by this goal. It's a set piece. I thought a lot went wrong. Like I think the fact that the ball is able to reach the back post is indicative of one, it being a phenomenal set piece 
and to sort of not to harp on it but to not coming out of his goal and united not having proper command of that area um but i thought you had some good notes on united system that i hadn't thought of so i'll just let you take it away here yeah so i agree De Gea could have done a lot better here that ball hung up for the third goal just so we're clear talking about the third goal that corner kick um that got knocked down back across goal um and that was just a tap in that ball hung up for a really long time and De Gea's getting crowded uh and De Gea's really weak when he gets crowded and a better goalkeeper a stronger goalkeeper commanding his own box gets to that ball uh, i maintain that but I don't think it's the primary issue here. As in a lot of other parts of this match, executed this set set play at a really high level. Um, really just like perfect execution. What you see at this corner kick is United are using the same mixed man zonal system that they've used for years, as far as I can remember, at least the last two seasons um, under Ali uh, and under Rangnick. And essentially um, how it works is the four or five or six uh, direct, typically I think it's five, direct set-piece targets um, who come off of the six-yard box are man-marked, and then the the six-yard box itself is zonally marked, typically by the stronger aerial threats in the United squad. But what what Brentford wisely does here is they play the first ball over the head of the furthest zonal marker at the far post, who in this case is Dallow, which essentially makes the... Whoever, if you are able to play this ball to any one of Brentford's players, it's essentially going to be a one-on-one because the ball is already beyond the the nearest zonal defender. So it's over their head. And then it just happens to be, or happens, I think it's probably very deliberate, Tony against Ericsson in this 1v1 aerial duel at the, duel at the far post. And that's that's a done deal. Like There's, there's nothing Ericsson is ever going to do about that. So it's basically a free knockdown for Tony in the six-yard box across goal. Once you concede that first point of contact, the goal is basically conceded. And, like, you can argue Lissandro could have done better at the far post. It's true to a certain extent. I think he lost his balance. But I really don't think that's where this goal came from. Once you have a ball floating, like, a yard off of your goal line, it is... there. Whatever happens after that, I have a lot of trouble blaming any defensive errors. Because that ball is functionally already in the goal. In my opinion, United should probably just switch to a full zonal approach. Because I think this is just too easy to exploit. Especially since I think United have a lot of players who aren't very good in the air in this squad. Even some players who are good at attacking offensive set pieces, like Cristiano, are pretty poor marking set pieces. Um, so I think it's just too dangerous to play play like this. And I'd, I'd go fully zonal. Yeah, I think that's the, the real issue. Yeah, fair enough. And yeah, I think people kind of tend to underrate the probability of goals occurring once the ball enters the six yard box. Like it's, it becomes so, so difficult to prevent anything once you're letting teams get the ball across your six yard box twice in a, in a single sequence, like that's going to end up in a goal pretty often. I don't have anything to add there In, in terms of the fourth goal. First of all, I think this has to be one of the best goals I've seen this weekend. Like, seriously, how did that clearance get to Ivan Tony? That is just unbelievable. The pass from Tony onto Mbumo's run is even better. And then the finish within two touches. Like, this is this is the perfect counter-attacking goal. And I don't think you expect to concede that goal in most games. I don't think you expect to prevent that goal in most games. But 
there were a few mistakes, so let's talk about those. Um, firstly, you pointed out to me, actually, from the clearance that Maguire is watching the ball, and that allows Ivan Tony to get away from him. Um, it's a small error, and the type of error that we wouldn't really have pointed out if, or, or even noticed, really, if it hadn't resulted in a goal. But in this case, it ends up being really costly. And I guess that's a good broader point, right? Like, analyzing defending based on the mistakes that lead to goals is kind of only part of the picture every mistake that leads to any form of chance from the opposition is equally bad in a defender's view because any of those chances could lead to a goal right it just depends on the quality of the chance that you concede um and the and the size of the error that leads to that quality chance but also De Gea mistimes this again John Harrison also tweeted about this goal basically De Gea's body orientations and his positioning to delay the shot not really there um, in fairness, John says this is something De Gea is traditionally good at. Basically, I think his 1v1 ability in terms of delaying and actually having the reflexes to save shots has historically been pretty good, but there was a time when I guess I would back most goalkeepers to stop these type of situations over De Gea, whereas this time I didn't feel particularly confident. And yeah, I guess we've already kind of talked about De Gea, but are those days gone for him? And do you have anything else to add there? Yeah, um... Yeah, so De Gea has always been really, really good in long-range 1v1s. I think he had a down year with them, not last year, but the year before. Otherwise, he's been basically elite in that situation. So, yeah, if you're going to knock De Gea, perhaps knock the goal, because generally I'm against criticizing players for one-off errors at things they're typically really good at, um, which I think we're actually going to talk a little bit more about later. But I don't think that... If you look at this as a confidence issue, if you, you say De Gea is usually good at this, but... His confidence was knocked in this match. I don't really see his confidence recovering this season playing the type of football we're playing because he's playing scared. And maybe I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong because um, I think it's difficult to to remove him from this side, especially since I don't think Heaton really changes anything. But yeah, so he typically takes that better. But if, if for the rest of the season you told me he is like an average or worse goalkeeper in those situations, I wouldn't be surprised because I think he's probably going to suffer from whatever he was suffering on Sunday going forward. Yeah, it's worth noting that De Gea had kind of been slowly declining on a lot of the sort of core aspects of his game before last season when he kind of exploded back into form in light of the high volume and frequency of shots United were facing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't ever feel comfortable sort of talking about player confidence and and speculating. So I guess... My main point of contention was that De Gea made a mistake here. We're dissecting the goal, so pointed out. I don't think it's a regular feature of his game. I don't know whether this mistake will happen again many times this season. Um, let's talk about something a little bit more optimistic. No, just kidding. We have more bad news. Uh, suboptimal shooting. I wanted to talk about United's attack and the effect that bad shots had on it in this game. Um, United had 15 shots and only 0.8 XG, which works out to about 0.053 XG per shot. That basically means their average shot situation has a 5.3% chance of going into the goal, um, which is about half of the average Premier League shot. So 14 of these shots were below 0.1, so everything except one, and eight of the 15 shots were outside the box. That's horrible, like horrible. We talked about how suboptimal shooting was a huge feature under Solskjaer and under Rangnick, and we talked about how it wasn't so bad in the Brighton game, but it seemed like it was back today. Definitely back. Definitely back against Brentford. Um, in strength, 
We took horrible shots. I think it killed some of our best moves. And not just horrible shots. We just had made terrible decisions in the final third. Um, overwhelmingly, it was the usual suspects. Rashford, Ronaldo, Bruno. I think you have more to say about this than I do. I find it incredibly frustrating, even though I don't think it's the primary issue right now. Well, if you find it incredibly frustrating, this next part that I have that I didn't tell you about is going to be really good. So what I actually did was I went back last night and watched all 15 of United's shots in this game and categorized them into three. Basically evaluated them. The worst category being just garbage shots that like there were multiple passing options both to retain or progress uh, in a in a creative situation and a United player just chooses to shoot and it messes up the entire possession in the odd chance that it doesn't go into the goal or win a corner. Um, from, these sh- from the 15, there were seven of these, just like complete nonsense long shots. Four were from Ronaldo, all four of those outside the box. He was off balance for three of them and he used his left foot for two of them. There was one, which I think was the last one, where Elanga dribbled through the entire team and passed it to Ronaldo, and he kicked it with his left foot off balance straight at Raya. Another one was Bruno from very far when he had like four options. Um, he just decided to have a hit when there were players making runs out wide on the last line, and he's just out of the goal and he just decides to hit it. But I think the worst of all was Rashford's. Bruno makes this run in transition to get and give Rashford an option on his left. Like he's completely getting in behind. And Rashford just pelts the ball at the first man and it bounces off the first man and United lose possession in this beautiful attacking situation. Just ridiculous. The sort of next category was the meh shots where it's like, I found a better option that I thought the player could have taken, but I sort of understand why they went for the shot. There were two from Bruno here and one from Malasia. So the relevant point here is that I would take away from these is that two of them had options to crash the back post and hit a cross that if they hit the cross is pretty much a sure goal at the back post. Um, And the crosses weren't super difficult to hit for either of them. The Bruno one's a little bit more forgivable than the, than the Malasia one, because for the Bruno one, Rashford wasn't making the run uh, to the back post that he should have been making, which is another thing that we'll go on to later. Um, So Bruno can take the shot because if he makes the cross, there's going to be no one there. Um, whereas for the Malasia one, Dalo's making a really good run and Malasia just kind of hits it and it gets blocked. And I think United lost the ball. And then there were five reasonable shots. So first of all, three of them were headers that were pretty much forced. Like the possession was dead, obviously, if they didn't shoot. So decision-making much easier in those scenarios. And then there were two, I think, pretty good plays. Um, the first one was Dalo. Um, he had one shot in this match. He slipped, so it kind of ruined the shot. And, I mean, the shot off wasn't even that good at the end of it, but the play was dead either way. I think he's fine taking that shot. And then the other one was Ericsson, which was a nice workaround that ended in, like, a sort of half volley. And that was the one chance that was above 0.1 XG in this game, and he missed it. But, yeah, I thought it was a good play. Um, Basically, just 67% of the time United took a shot in this game, there was a better option. 47% of the shots were absolutely criminal. Um, I hope you enjoyed that segment. Yeah, uh, I can't say I'm surprised by it, even though it's painful here. I do think it's worth adding. I think we've made it clear already. United's biggest issue in this match and how Brentford won this match was pressing in United's third and creating high ball wins. But what that also, the effect that also had was the only way United ever exited pressure 
and they did they did exit pressure pretty consistently after the second goal was by going long and either winning the second ball or the ball going back to Raya and then Raya would go long and then United would win the second ball. A, a small note, Brentford really had a lot of trouble winning second balls in this match. I, I've seen a lot of people make a, a big fuss out of United's inability to win second balls. United overwhelmingly won most of the second balls in this match. And when Brentford weren't winning the ball in pressing situations in United's third, United dominated the ball. But the problem with that is, when you win possession that way, you are almost always going to be attacking a set Brentford defense and not at pace. Uh, and so, overwhelmingly, all of United's attacks were happening slowly. Well, they were developing slowly and then happening against a set defense in, in Brentford's third and trying to essentially break down a, a very organized Brentford block. So if you really wanted to isolate the match into two phases, you'd say uh, United conceded their goals from the press, and then they failed to score as a result of Brentford's block in Brentford's third. Um, and, and yeah, that's what suppressed. I think that's a big part of what suppressed shot quality. So while I agree the decision-making was awful, they're not going to win matches when the, the overwhelming majority of their uh, scoring opportunities come through that through that uh, avenue, and the only solution to that is to build from the back better. Yeah, totally agree that that's the main issue in the match, and I mean, no amount of attacking improvement from the situations that United had here would have had me expecting them to score five goals, right? Which is enough to say that, you know, United lose this match if they make the mistakes they make at the back, particularly the goalkeeping errors and the build-up errors. So, yeah, not denying that at all. Um, but there were, based on what I'm saying here, 10 situations, 10, where United could have created a better chance in attack than the one they did. I also, a lot of people probably are wondering why we're harping so much on bad shooting from players who historically are perhaps good shooters from this range. There's a lot of reasons. One, players like Ronaldo, Bruno, they score a lot of goals and they score a lot of long shots, but a high proportion of the goals they score are not from long shots relative to what you actually think. It's it's something in the region of less than 10% of both of their career goals. On top of that, they take an extremely high amount of long shots. So those goals are a very small portion of the picture of the attacking situations that are required to create them. Secondly, missed shots are a problem when you're trying to sustain pressure. And they're a problem that is obviously required to score goals, right? Like, I'm not suggesting don't take shots. But, you know, if you're losing the ball from a, from a lost shot, it better be a shot that was a good situation because you want to continue to, to put the other team under pressure. And like we saw, Brentford loved playing in transitions. They scored an amazing goal in transition in this game. You want to limit their potential to attack in transitions unless it's something that you believe has a really good chance of letting you score. And most of these shots were like, as I said, something like a 5% chance of going in, which is not which is not worth the returns that we're getting from them. Finally, the other thing is long shots are sometimes necessary. You have to take long shots because otherwise the other team won't have to guard long shots and that reduces space in behind, right? There's also a whole lot of other reasons. Sometimes teams get speculative. Sometimes you want to increase the probability of scoring in a match where you cannot break down the opposition. This was not one of those games. United created a lot of opportunities where they could have 
made a better play to get in behind. And if there is a better option, the best option is always to play that better option. And that sounds extremely obvious, right? So, all right, in part two of this, we have a lot of a lot more discourse about Lissandro and some of the stuff that's been going on about him and Sky Sports and Twitter this week. Uh, we have Erickson and Fred in midfield and their new roles and whether they worked. Um, a couple more players that we want to discuss, and then we're going to break down 16 different transfer rumors as fast as we can and basically give you the best breakdown you can possibly find on Panic Window and Panic Window Shopping. So stay tuned. All right, welcome back to Devils in the Details. Uh, we're going to look at some individual performances in the Brentford game and then some transfer rumors. We're going to fire through them as quickly as we can because there have been so many. And by the time we upload, there's probably going to be even more. So let's start with individual performances. Uh, the biggest topic of this match from an individual perspective for some reason was Lissandro Martinez. Um, I thought he was probably one of the least responsible players for what ended up happening in this game. Jamie Carragher insists you can't run with Lissandro because of his height. Thomas Frank says that Brentford targeted Lissandro, um, but I think he had mixed comments on the matter. And Ivan Tony said that he just thought Brentford's pressing was really good and it had nothing to do with Lissandro. Case, um, as someone who has achieved virality on the subject by accident... How do you feel about Lissandro's ability in the air and what this match tells us about his ability to be a center back in the Premier League going forward? I think this match basically tells us very little, at least very little to the to the, to the effect that he can't do it. Tony was right. Uh, the, the battle between him and, and Martinez in the air was basically 50-50. Actually, I'd say Martinez beat him for the most part. Brentford created almost... Brentford very clearly deliberately went long from goal kicks and very, very, very rarely established possession in United's uh, half from those long goal kicks, especially when targeting Martinez. The, I, I think probably 15 times that they went long at Martinez during during the first half of this match, they established possession in United's uh, half two times. Uh by even targeting him vaguely, uh, a lot of those duels were contested by Shaw, or, um, or Martinez contested them on the ground. Um, it just wasn't effective. Um, whether or not Frank did it on purpose, and I actually I've spoken to a couple of Brentford fans who seem to interpret Frank's comments differently and, and don't and think that sort of the the people asking the question of Frank whether Martinez was was targeted forced him into a response that doesn't exactly reflect the truth um, and that they weren't really targeting him. I don't, I don't know if I buy that, but whether or not they were targeting him or not, it didn't work. Um, the only real failure of Martinez's in the air during this match was admittedly costly, um, but it was what we talked about, that corner at the back, po- at the, really at the near post after the knockdown. I don't think Harry Maguire is stopping that. I don't think any tall, like, I, like maybe it gives you a slightly better chance, but I don't think it gives you a, a, a very good chance. Once the ball is a yard off the, like we said this already, once the ball is a yard off the six-yard box, off, off the goal line, it's very hard to defend anything. Yeah, but also it's not his height, right? Like, he slipped. It wasn't the fact that he's short. It's the fact that he fell, um, which is which is completely different in my opinion and, and not something that I would expect to occur on a regular basis. Like, if he's regularly falling during aerial duels, 
that's a that's not a height issue but it is an issue um but it just seemed like a sort of one a freak accident and two um not a key component of why that goal was conceded I don't really want to talk about Lissandra much more. I think people are forcing this issue as they always do with United center backs. I think it's totally reasonable that Brentford would target him in the air, given that his partner in this match was Harry Maguire, who is historically one of the best aerial defenders on the planet. I really don't think there was anything to talk about here from this match. And it really is just people grasping at straws on the 45 million signing. I actually thought Lissandra was really good. And for a lot of defensive sequences, he was the one holding it together. So I'm going to move on. A really interesting inclusion here that both of us advocated for was Christian Eriksen at number six and Fred further forward as a result. I didn't think this was a horrible thing, and I would like to see it again given the current squad, which is a pretty, I would say a pretty hot take given a 4-0 loss. I think we both kind of agreed that Eriksen and Fred both made mistakes in this game, but on the balance of things, I thought it was one of the more promising midfield performances in a while when whenever the ball got into midfield from United and that's a low bar but I don't know I don't think it was completely pessimistic yeah so what I would say is was this a good game from from we'll start with Erickson with for Erickson obviously not anytime you concede four goals as a defensive midfielder defensive midfielder is in quotes just so anybody listening knows it doesn't look good however he didn't make super costly positional mistakes he made a couple of positional mistakes that I was able to point out on rewatch. They, did, they didn't lead to goals. They didn't even really lead to big chances. The, the one that led to a goal was due to a De Gea mistake. Otherwise, in possession, he made some technical errors that I would say were actually bigger than the positional errors he made out of possession. But he's an incredibly technical player. So I think if you play him in the same position again, he's not going to make those technical errors. As for whether he's the perfect solution in holding midfield, obviously not. One, one of the goal kicks that De Gea took that led to the really tragic uh, second goal, uh, I felt that Erickson probably could have turned his defender, but that if he had, that would have been like a really great move as opposed to something you expect of a player uh, when there's that much pressure on them. Um, so I would, have, I would have liked to have seen him do it. I think he could have handled that situation better, but I think, still think he is by far the best option in that position, and I really hope we still see him play in that position going forward. Yeah, I think we're both in the very, very firmly and voraciously in the camp of sign a defensive midfielder for crying out loud. But I will say that when, if that does happen, I'm not confident. I'm not confident the sign will, will be good. We'll get on to that. Uh, we're going to need to bubble wrap that guy. And in basically, we're going to need options. And I think Erickson's going to be the backup option, especially in something like the Europa League. Lissandro and Fred got subbed at halftime here, and I think a lot of people took that as an indictment of their performance, and that's not how I saw it. Firstly, when you concede four goals, you want to make changes just as a kind of optical thing. The game is already, for the most part, gone. Secondly, they were just the natural players to change. Maguire's the captain. You're not going to sub him at halftime. That's optically really, really bad. Dalo was heavily involved, and there aren't really any alternatives at right back. So that leaves Shaw, Malasia, Shaw for Malasia, Lissandro for... Varane and McTominay coming in for Fred because once you know Brentford are going to sit back you don't need to play through a press as much anymore and that means you can go for the aerial dominance to defend the transition which I think Varane and McTominay are probably clear options to win aerial duels and and perhaps McTominay is a better option to crash the box with more extreme like 
and more sort of overloading attacking situations than Fred. And I didn't think there was much more to it than that. Let's talk about Ronaldo. We talked about his shooting habits already and how they hurt attacking habits. But honestly, I don't want to talk about this too much this season, especially if it becomes a thing every week. Because it was a thing every week last season, but it just feels unavoidable in this game. He was really, really poor. Um, In the first 10 minutes, he hurts two different transition situations that United have by either diving for a foul or taking a bad shot. And then he messes up a pressing situation that was really good and could have led to a good transition by just committing a foul and running into the guy when United had trapped Brentford in a good spot. Um, It went on to be a lot of the same. And now there's sort of, I don't know what the validity of this is, but there's rumors that he feels that he's uncomfortable with the tactical approach that's being taken. I just think this is going to be another sort of De Gea situation where this is an unavoidable issue that has to be dealt with and... It's one thing when he's scoring a goal a game, but frankly, he is nowhere near that in his United career, and he's going to be nowhere near that this season. So what do you do? Yeah, I think we've tried to be diplomatic on this issue in previous episodes um, or just completely avoid it because it's just not fun. But if he actually is questioning the tactics at this point, just get him out of there. Like, he's not, he doesn't matter enough to to change your tactics with a brand new manager. I I don't really care whether he likes the tactics or not. Even if, it, like, like, I just don't think he should have a say or, like, yeah, really any sway on the issue. He's a pro- He's become a problem. He's become a problem visibly in his body language. I think you just have to make sure he's gone by the end of this window. And also, also I, I don't think he's affecting matches in a positive way. Like, if you stay on the pitch... I, think he was very poor against Brentford yeah I mean okay this is slightly outside the domain of this podcast but I found the comments that he made on Instagram really funny where he was like in a couple weeks I'll do an interview and explain as if like once the window closes he's gonna explain all like he's either gonna be at a different club or he's gonna be like I wanted to stay here the entire time it's just complete nonsense and yeah I've, I've firmly been in the camp that Martial would be better even though I'm fully aware of his flaws um, if you if United can get nineteen twenty or even twenty twenty one Martial with um, with the kind of shooting better shooting ability than he had that year, I think that's better than what you're going to get from Ronaldo this year. And yeah, I think it's a. I wasn't sold on that until recently, but I think it's pretty difficult to deny how toxic the situation has become. And I also I, I think. Probably Martial is, is a better on-pitch option as well, even though I think he's not a good on-pitch option. You need a center forward. Like, we really, really need a center forward. But we're just not at a point as a team where we've been, we've seen that yet, I think, because we've played so poorly. We haven't put pressure. We haven't, like, had goal-scoring opportunities. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll save that for another episode, hopefully. Hopefully we have another episode where I get to complain about striker issues. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll definitely have another episode, but uh, you need to get out of your own half to talk about the strikers quite often. Um, Ru- I mean, I say this before we're going to talk about another striker. Marcus Rashford, I think he struggled a lot in this game again. One of the workarounds for having to play Ronaldo last season that Rangnick tried a lot was playing Anthony Alanga. I think that could also apply when Martial is playing. Alanga has a much more innate sense of running in behind, and I think he backs himself a lot less on the ball, which leads to him trying to make runs more often. Um... Rashford's not only 
did we talk about how he missed quite a few runs at the back post uh, a little bit earlier, but his decision-making on the ball is also so poor. Like one of the sort of indefensible shots that he took was a shot where he got pretty much forced into shooting because he dribbled into a hole. Like he received the ball in a great spot ahead of the defense and he just dribbled straight at the man he was facing. And it, that that doesn't work. Like you have to be a generational dribbler and most generational dribblers who end up being viable at creating end product are ones who threaten to dribble at someone and then make the pass right so it's it's just not a viable style of play for a player like Rashford or most players in general I don't think his decision making makes any sense and he's also not providing the off-ball output that he used to provide this is just it's not a good scenario um I think Alanga should play next game what do you think he was very poor in in the match against Brentford I do still think he shows flashes especially early on in the match. I thought maybe his best moment in the match was he took down a long ball, um, drove at the defense, and then played Cristiano. Well, well-placed pass. But yeah, I, I would understand if he played Alonga this weekend. And I'm, I'm losing faith in Rashford, even though we probably haven't seen the best you know, team environment to judge him on yet. Um, I think Alonga should have an opportunity. I think Ahmad should have an opportunity. In terms of Rashford, I don't think he's going anywhere. I know we've seen rumors of PSG, but I don't think they're going to pay what it takes to get him. And I see this being, I mean, this is probably another downer comment, but I see this being sort of another Pogba situation where United don't have enough incentive to offer him a long-term deal. He doesn't have any incentive to sign a long-term deal. Other clubs don't have enough incentive to buy him out of his current deal. And he's got a year left with an option for a further year. So they're going to run this down for another season and then panic next summer because they've gotten into this situation. And I totally don't think this is Rashford's fault. I think United have completely messed up his development. Um, I don't think he was a perfect prospect, but I do think that he was a good prospect and he was a good player. Um, And United have completely mismanaged his fitness. They've mismanaged his development as a player. They hired two managers who had no regard for the long term with respect to his career and getting the best out of him. And now I think we're paying the price for that in a big way because now he's needed and the squad needs him and he just totally can't produce what he could produce two years ago. I'm going to move to the transfer rumors because I think we need to end this on a fun note, even though we're going to probably say that most of these rumors are awful. United have been linked to a ton of names. A ton of names have been linked with moving away from United. Let's just go through the list and talk about them. We'll go in position chronology from back to front. Starting in goal, we talked about goalkeeper issues. United have been linked with Jan Sommer. I really like Jan Sommer. I think he's a good goalkeeper. He's in his mid-30s, so he's not really a long-term option. But I think he could be a good option to carry out to next year where perhaps a lot of bigger names enter the last year of their contract. Players like David Raya, um, Emmy Martinez. There's, there's probably a few others. Talk to me about Jan Sommer, his game, and for the right price, which is probably sub-10 million, whether you'd like to see him at United. Yeah, I'd love to have Sommer. You watch that Brentford match, and you say, who's a player we could drop in here who could fix what's happening here? Like, what, what would make a big, big difference? And I think Sommer is exactly that player. Um, it, like, I saw that rumor, I was like, this is almost too good to be true. But it, it was from a pretty reliable journal. But then there were subsequent reports that Summer wants to start. If I were in transfer negotiations with him as United, if I if I worked at United, I would be whispering to him, it won't take long. But yeah, he's he's really sound on the ball. Um, those those 
fun Gladback sides from about two years ago were very reliant on his ability to sort of spray the ball around, play that chip pass that we were talking about to Hay and not being able to play. And he's also a historically very good shot stopper. He had a down year the year before last, but otherwise um, a major plus in that department. He's fine commanding his area. I wouldn't say he's like some monster like Sanchez is, but um, certainly better than De Gea. I think that would be great. Like that would probably maybe, even though he's like a 30-something second choice goalkeeper, I would go crazy if we got if we if we got Summer over the line. That is kind of sad, but also true. Um, all right, yeah, I I also think just United have such bad goalkeeper optics right now with the way Dean Henderson is showing the entire. And I'm glad he's doing it, but showing up everyone at that Nottingham Forest right now, and I, it's kind of hard to convince a goalkeeper that they're going to be treated well when United have this mess of a De Gea situation going on. And for that reason, I highly doubt this gets over the line, but yeah, I'd love to see him. Right back. Two right backs linked. One I'm not a fan of, one I kind of get it. United need a right back, less so because Dalo is bad. I don't think he's great, but he's not bad. And... More so because if Dalo can't play, this position is in a crisis. Um, Ethan Laird's gone out on loan. Uh, let's talk about... Firstly, tell me about what you think Laird going on loan to the championship again is a good idea. And secondly, talk to me about Thomas Mounier or Serginio Dest as potential options to replace him. I don't mind the Laird loan. Um he probably wouldn't have happened if we'd been able to sell Juan Bissaka, which is actually also rumored the St. Palace would pay $10 million for him. I think you'd take that and run, even though I don't think uh, United's front office will look at it the same way. As for the two fullbacks we're linked with, Mounier is sort of a laughingstock amongst Dortmund supporters at the moment, as I understand it. Um, I haven't seen him play at Dortmund very often. I think I've maybe seen him play twice. But I've seen him play at, uh, at previous clubs. I don't think he's... And like to me, this would feel like another Tealess deal, uh, where just a guy out there, and he's just a body that you would throw on the pitch. And I don't think he would do much for you. As for Dest, when Dest uh, was at Ajax, I was a skeptic of his. I thought there were bigger flaws in his game than people realize. I wasn't that upset when he chose the American national team uh, over the Dutch national team. However, I think his game going forward is pretty good. Um, and I don't think Barcelona have even seen the best of it. So I wouldn't be upset if we got him, especially since I think he compliments Sancho on the right perhaps far better than Dallo does, even though I think Dallo is the better footballer in general. I agree pretty much across the board there. I think if Mounier was free, it's probably fine because if you're selling Wambasaka and Laird, you kind of need someone. Um, but I wouldn't be running to get him. I wouldn't be paying a big fee to get him. Um, I also think he's the best football he's played in his career is probably as a wingback, not really a fullback. Um, he's kind of one of those who has a pretty big frame and he's good at crashing the box. I know Dalo's been hitting the back post, but that's not the core aspect of the game that Dalo's trying to play in this team. But yeah, I do think he'd be better than Juan Bissaka, so if he's available on a free, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to hugely object to it. Dest would be a little bit more palatable as a player. Where it's probably more objectionable is the 17 million fee, which I think is reasonable for Dest, but probably a big outlay for a right back considering what United might need in other positions this window. Um, I do think he offers something different to Dalo that is more suited to Sancho, as you said. I do think Dalo is the better footballer, as you said. But Dest is young, a good fit, and I think that's as good as United can ask for at this point. Um, and I do think he would, over the season, be an improvement over the 
probably 20 to 25 games you get out of Wambasaka if if, uh, if you don't fix this position. So I wouldn't be against it. I think a lot of people were really upset at the move, but it wouldn't be the worst thing. Um, let's move to defensive midfield. Only two names here and both kind of outlandish, which is the typical nonsense that we see. Uh, Casemiro, let's start with that. Seems like the biggest rumor. Seems like of this entire list, for some reason, the most likely one to happen. Um, we're talking record-breaking fee for this position, record-breaking wage for this position, league-leading wages. Um, he's 30. We're talking a five-year deal. This is so typical. Um, I, I'm so against this deal, so I'm going to let you talk before I cloud you with my bias. I think Casemiro would be the best defensive midfielder that United have had. Um, I mean, if you want to call Carrick a defensive midfielder, sure. But best player in that position that United have had since Carrick. That's the most positive thing I can say about this deal. His major strength, which is how incredibly he is out of possession, um, is not a fix to United's biggest issue, which is right now building from the back. I think he's fine building out, but for the most part, Modri and Kroos generally handle that responsibility for Real Madrid. Uh, not that Casemiro isn't involved, he's obviously involved, but um, there's a reason there's more technical midfielders around him. Beyond that, he's 30. Uh, I'm skeptical anytime Real are happy to sell somebody of that age, um, given that they have other players who've played deep into their 30s and are major contributors to these teams. Uh, the wages are massive, the fee is massive. I'm very confident we would regret this deal even though he definitely makes us better. I'm just sick of buying players this age when the squad is where it is. It makes no sense. He's too old. This squad is not going to be competitive while he's in his prime. Totally agree. It's another Nemanja Matic situation for me where it's like, and and it's double the fee and double the wages at least, by the way, um, where Matic was good for United for a couple of years. United fell 20 plus points short of the title in every single one of those years and limped out of the cups. So what's the point? Because now Matic is completely fried and it's, it's only been five years. Like, and it's not even five years, like two or three years ago, he was fried. So why are we, why? Like I would rather overpay for someone who is slightly mediocre, but will play for United for the next 10 years. It's at that point. Like, there are so many better ways to address this. And not only that, he's not even, like like you said, he's not even particularly the player United need. Against Brentford, Christian Eriksen played in defensive midfield. The biggest weakness in this side in midfield is deep carrying of the ball, which Casemiro doesn't do. The second biggest weakness in the side is deep passing, which Eriksen somewhat addresses. Casemiro does a little bit. And then he addresses the third biggest weakness, which is like defensive transitions, which is... Something that can be addressed by a lot of midfielders, I think. And, and and as we've discussed so many times, the biggest issue with defensive transitions right now is where United are giving away the ball, which Casemiro also doesn't really address. I would be totally against this. And I just think if United, like you said, if United are going to go for this profile of defensive midfielder, I think it's workable. You can get Casemiro behind, probably Casemiro in a pivot with Eriksen, and then behind uh, Bruno or Van de Beek. Um, I think that's viable. Um... I don't think the Casemiro-Fred Brazil midfield works as well at club level as it does at international level. And if United are going to go for a midfielder that's not quite the Frankie profile because they've wasted the entire window trying to get Frankie if they don't get him, 
I would go for the other target in this position, which is reportedly Moises Caicedo, a player United could have gotten a year ago for $5 million, in my opinion, a really good He's young, really mobile, has a lot of promise carrying the ball, which is kind of nice because United need that. But his main strengths are, like Casemiro, defensive. Um, Really good at breaking up play. Really good at defensive transitions. He doesn't have that much Premier League experience, but United were right to want him a year ago. And I think they were wrong not to fully get that done. I think he chose Brighton for his development too, so United maybe deserve a little bit of leeway on this one. But... If they can get him for the right price now, or even the wrong price if the other option is Casemiro, I think I'd take that. What about you? Yeah, people are going to get mad at us when we ultimately sign Casemiro and and he makes us a lot better, which he will make us better. And I think this team is also just going to regress to the mean and play better football because there's still talent on the side. But yeah, I would rather Caicedo. I think it makes more sense. I think he's the age profile you want. I think he's really talented. I think he's a good athlete the stylistic profile you want playing defensive midfield for brighton is a green flag like even a guy like Yves basuma who is really poor on the ball uh in general like he doesn't really do much with it he's still quite secure and can still play in these systems which is like the main problem with someone like mctominay is not that he's not extremely progressive on the ball it's that he doesn't read the proper cues which i don't think is an issue with most of the players who end up playing in that position successfully for a team like Brighton. Um, let's move to the next, so now the forward bracket sort of. Uh, we had a question from good friend of the pod, uh, Stephen Conroy. He says, can you talk about the usage of Sancho so far and how it's going to adapt as the season progresses? I think this question fits in well with the links to the two other players here. If Cody Gakpo joined, I think you'd likely see Sancho continue to develop in the current role. But if Anthony joined, I think you could see him moving to the left side. You know both of these players better than me. Talk to me about Sancho and United's needs for a winger, whether you think Cody Gakpo or Anthony could fulfill those needs. Yeah, so as for Sancho's role, I think people are probably potentially wondering why we've mentioned Sancho so infrequently on the pod over the last three weeks. He just hasn't played either well or poorly. He hasn't seen a lot of the ball. When he has, he's been fine, but he hasn't really been in threatening positions. Um, he makes better decisions than the rest of the team, so it's a lot harder to single him out when the t- when we're getting very few attacking opportunities. Yeah, uh, as for the targets, Anthony, uh, I agree, would see Sancho switch uh, to left wing. I think this would be an interesting one. I think Anthony is more, of the two uh, of these options, I think he probably translates better to the, to the Premier League uh, immediately than Gakpo does. And the reason I say that is because I think he's more explosive. So I think his ability to uh, be... And I don't think he's elite... Like, he has elite uh, acceleration, but I think it's better. Um, So I think he's probably more likely to be able to beat players in take-ons, which would be a really big asset for this team because Rashford doesn't look like he's up to it. um, And it's just not a major part of Sancho's game. Um, As for Gakpo, I'm a big fan. I think you can make the argument he was the best player in the Netherlands last season who didn't play for Ajax. I do think he's very, I don't want to say similar to Sancho because their, their games have actually pretty big differences, but in that he's ball dominant, creator, uh, creator first. I don't think he's going to beat Premier League defenders on the dribble using his explosiveness. Um, I think he's probably going to have to adapt and use his, his massive frame uh, more. So yeah, as for how that all of that affects Sancho, I think if Gakpo comes in, you have to get a more aggressive right back to get like the most attacking output out of Sancho. But if Anthony comes in, I think that 
is probably the better profile fit for this side. We were talking about, uh, I think off camera, we were talking about uh, Diogo Dallo um, and his ability in the final third being a little bit strange. Um, he he doesn't really have that like elite attacking ability in the final third and overlapping, which is also why we said Dest might be a better fit for Sancho. Another possible solution to that is to move Sancho to the left wing and sign a right winger who can take on that flank on his own. And right now, I think Anthony is as good an option as you can get for that. He is really, really good at holding width. And like you said, he beats a lot of players off the dribble. I think he can he can self-sustain on a flank a lot better than Sancho or, by the sounds of it, Gakpo. And I think he would add another dimension to this side, even if he doesn't quite deliver at the highest level yet. And that's the type of signing I think United should be looking for. Someone who's going to be good enough to contribute now and develop to contribute even more when United are hopefully a really good team again. Um, so I would really want Anthony of all the names on this list that we've talked about so far. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna move on to the strikers a little bit. Um, there's a number of names here. It's just pretty much random fire. I'll break them down into two categories. There's more like the deep-lying, facilitating forwards. Um, you've got Mateus Cunha, Joao Felix, and Memphis. Let's start with those three. I think they all sound pretty good to me, honestly. I know the the fees for Joao Felix make it pretty much impossible because they're ridiculous, but I really like him as a player, and I really like Cunha from what I've seen, and Memphis is a known quantity and possibly a free agent um, in the coming weeks. So, yeah, any thoughts on those guys? Yeah, they all sound like uh, good targets, and they all sound like they're not going to happen. Uh, that's, that's what I got. Cunha would be great. But it, uh, it, the reports are saying he straight up said no. Yeah, Memphis looks like he's Juve bound. And then Felix, Felix is, I think, just unattainable. Yeah, pretty much agree on all three. And I also don't think this is exactly the profile of forward United should be going for anyways. I like that Felix and Cunha are young. I like that Memphis is cheap. I think they're all good. Um, but I think United should be going for a more traditional striker. Which brings us to our final three names on the incomings list. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who seems like he's going to Chelsea. Musa Dembele and Alvaro Morata. I think all of these players are decent to differing extents. Morata, probably the one that excites me most. They're all also players I wouldn't want to see United outlay a big fee on. So maybe they had the age profile right in the last list and they have the tactical profile right in this list, but I wouldn't want to see United outlay on any of these players. And I mean, Aubameyang did have diminishing returns in his later days at Arsenal, right? Yeah, I'd say... Um... Very, 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 very against an Aubameyang move, despite his production at Barcelona. Early, like probably, I want to say, the end of Aubameyang's third to last season at Arsenal, um, you could see that his his underlying metrics were tailing off. And you could also see it in his play. He didn't have the same explosiveness. He wasn't creating shots at the same level. He was finishing at a really high level. Uh, and at that point, uh, I think... I don't think I was the only one, but more than one person called out the fact that he was clearly about to hit a major decline, and he did, um, and, and he just couldn't produce in the, in the Premier League anymore. I highly doubt that has changed, and I, I've watched a lot of Barcelona last season, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable saying it hasn't. I don't think he should move back to the Premier League personally anywhere, and certainly not at United. As for Moussa Dembele, I wouldn't mind this, depending on the fee even though I think he's really limited outside of his goal-scoring ability, we need a goal scorer. He's, he's sort of like the anti-Martial in that way, which is funny because they both have Lyon ties. Uh, Morata, 
A lot of people hate Murata. I really like Murata. I don't think he transforms this side. I think the fee could be really dangerous. This looks like the, the rumors surrounding Murata have died down. I think probably a good thing. But I think he would make the team better. Yeah, I, I think I would take Aubameyang on the condition that there's no payment for it. Like, I would take him on a loan to get him off Barca's wages because I think that's what they ultimately need. And I I wouldn't be against that. I would not pay the $25 million that it looks like Chelsea might be paying. I think that's ridiculous. I don't think he's good enough even to be a starting striker for this United team. I just think he's possibly more suited and better than what is currently there. And a better option to rotate with Martial in a, in a post-Ronaldo world if no one else can come in. The other two have me a little bit more optimistic, but again, I wouldn't be outlaying huge fees for them. Let's talk about sales really quickly. We kind of mentioned Laird and Wambasaka in passing. I would have kept Laird, but if he's going on loan to the championship again, fair enough. I don't get why he was recalled from Swansea and then sent to Bournemouth and then comes back and then he's sent to another championship club anyways. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I guess I guess the championship loan could have worked out better with Bournemouth, but I don't think it was ever going to be six months from him being a non-starter from them in the championship to a starter for them in the Premier League. That 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 felt unrealistic to me. Uh, Juan Bissaka, yeah, I think we both agree he should go. Um, Eric Bailly, I think we both agree he should go. Um, he's probably fifth or even sixth choice center back, depending on your perceptions of a Phil Jones revival. And that leaves James Garner, who I think is actually a pretty interesting talking point here. I think Garner could be better than a player like Scott McTominay. I think he's a pretty interesting player. Um, probably the closest comparison to what we've seen in the first team over the last few years is someone like Ander Herrera. He does a little bit of everything, but nothing extremely high uh, on a technical or athletic level. I actually think Herrera is probably a better, like, in terms of running and stamina and, and ground coverage, might have been better than Garner in that sense. And I think he was probably a better passer when he first arrived in a, in a creative sense. I, I think Garner's lack of outstanding traits and the fact that McTominay is more of a known quantity basically make him sellable. Even though United might regret it, I don't think they're going to be running back for him. Um, and I think $15 million is a pretty good fee to get for someone that they basically raised out of the academy. And I think he'll have a good career ahead of him, but that doesn't make him a starter for a club that aspires to be in the Champions League again. Do you have any points of agreement or disagreement with that? Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think... Some people seem very upset with the fact that um, Garner is sort of up for sale. I agree. I don't. I don't think he's a player we're going to be running back for. And beyond that, this is what good. This is like what well-run clubs do. Uh, they they have robust academies that produce lots of players of this caliber, caliber, and they sell them at a profit. And it makes all your other transfer business go smoothly because it funds it without you having to go to ownership. Uh, for uh, like an injection of, of funds, so yeah, I'm 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 for selling Garner. I think it makes sense at the price. Yeah, pretty much agree. And for the record, I kind of understand the principle of the outrage behind selling someone like Garner to sign someone like Adrian Rabio. I don't think Rabio is an ideal target. I think it feels like cheaping out on the development of a player. But I just don't think Garner is confidently that guy. I, if it was someone like Hannibal Mejbi, for example, I would be a lot more outraged by it for sure. And I think that's what maybe people think Garner is, but I'm just not convinced that the abilities he has... First of all, I think he's not that 6 or even that 8 that people think he is. He's kind of like a more advanced player. And United have long-term and short-term options in that position and in that area of the pitch. And second of all, like he, like I said, he just doesn't have any outstanding sort of athletic or technical traits. He's just kind of like decent to good across the board, which I think makes for probably a high-end championship or even 
Premier League player, not not a United player. Um, with that, I guess I've got one more question for you. Uh, Liverpool lineup. We spoke about Ericsson and Fred in midfield. Think I'd stick with that. Any other changes you'd make to the team? So for, first, of all, I'll address like a point of speculation. There seems to be reports that Varane is going to start over Maguire. People who really strongly dislike Maguire are going to celebrate this as his his downfall. I think it's probably mostly going to be a tactical tweak, and I understand it. I think this is like a good match to play Varane in. As for other changes, I would I would drop Bruno. I, he's not going to do it. I would play Donny over Bruno in this match. I think it's the perfect match to do it. I think he's going to give you more ball retention. I think he's going to make better decisions on the ball. I think he's also a better defender. I think this is the match to give Donny a start, and no way it happens. I will be so surprised. Uh, and then, yeah, maybe you play a long over Rashford, and, and then hopefully Martial is fit to start. Those, those would be my changes. Yeah, mostly agree. Elonga for sure, Martial for sure, Donny... I'd be I'd be okay with it. I think maybe Bruno is still okay, but I yeah, the the some of his habits in the final third need to be curbed, and I think it might it might be a good chance to play a player who gives you a little bit more technical security in your own third, where you're gonna have to keep the ball. And despite just saying that, I, I I'm also fine with Varane. I think the athleticism will be helpful when dealing with some of these Liverpool forwards. One particular Liverpool forward has run away from the grind, but uh, the rest of them. Uh, I see Kay's burst out laughing right there. Um, the rest of them are still pretty athletic and probably going to give United a tough time. Uh, they've got an injury crisis, so I'm pessimistic, but not as pessimistic as you would think, given that United just lost 4-0 and are going into a Liverpool game where they were thrashed twice last season. I don't think United are going to win or even draw, but I don't think this is a hopeless cause. Um, and with Nunez's suspension and Jota and Firmino struggling with injuries, it actually looks like Liverpool might have to start without a striker. All right. With that, thanks, Case. Thank you, Aaron. It's been a good time again. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, Subscribe to Devils in the Details podcast. We're hoping United come up with a win eventually so we can maybe have some more optimistic talking points. Um, But we also wanted to make this episode balanced and not too emotional because I think everyone's getting really emotional right now. And while the transfer window is a crisis, I think a lot of the things that we saw in the Brentford game were redeemable um, for the future. And hopefully we start to see the foundations for that before it's too late in terms of personnel. But in terms of tactics, it's time to just kind of stand by and be patient while United get used to this new style. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.